Yoki, what is or yoki anyhow? <laughs> or yoki, uh, the, the word means uh, um, an amount appropriate for sustaining. <coughs> so the bowls, you know, not <laughs> so. What did I do? I forgot my Oriyoki. I, I was at Green Gulch yesterday afternoon. I very carefully gathered my things and I put my Oriyoki in the suitcase and took it up to Rona Park last night and this morning. <laughs> I thought I was, getting, I was a little hasty. I was a little hasty. And I thought, I don't need that suitcase. Nothing else in that suitcase that I need. <laughs> but I have everything I need. So I do. I have all my robes here. But then it was when I arrived here and I realized, uh-oh, the Oriyoki was in that suitcase. So fortunately, thank you, Eleanor, for these bowls. But I know I notice uh, I'm so used to having the bowls that I usually have that it's confusing. <laughs> Kathy said this morning, said, oh, she's dealing with confusion. And she, she said, you're bowing to it. I'm <laughs> bowing to confusion. Well, that was a very a beautiful approach. I mean, please continue. <laughs> so I was bowing to my confusion and I was missing various uh, trying to figure out how to work with this. Um, but it actually works quite well, and it's uh, um, a good way for a group of people to have a meal and then put everything away. It's all, it's all clean. So it is a, it's, it's beautiful. I usually don't think about, uh, about it so much, but we had a photographer come uh, at uh, Tassajara, uh, uh, for an article in the Smithsonian Magazine on Big Sur, and they wanted to do something. So she, so she, uh, we talked about it, and, and uh, turned out to be a very sweet person from uh, Mill Valley, actually, and uh, she. Uh, uh, Asked for permission to do some uh, photographs during our various uh, ceremonies and and uh, including meal time. 
So, so during the breakfast that day, there was a tripod and a camera sitting, sitting right here. <laughs> While I'm doing breakfast, and I, I don't know what, at some point maybe I'll see what the results of that were. But, but as, uh, but I actually became more conscious of the visual quality of it, and I thought, this is really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I wanted to talk a little bit about the notion of uh, non-dual living. The most important thing in our practice is to uh, practice non-dual living. Practice living with a realization that the usual way of uh, dividing things up is not quite complete, not quite right. Um, even though we have to do it, we have to think of things as separate. Um, we get into trouble thinking of things as separate. If we only think of things as separate, that is, uh, that means that we are attaching to a view, a dualistic view. And that's the source, fundamental source of suffering. Fundamental source of how people uh, experience uh, distress and experience um, isolation, experience fear, uh, and all the other um, distressing emotions that come up around that uh, are fundamentally based in uh, being caught in a dualistic uh, view of things. Um, a couple of examples. Last night, uh, I uh, actually I was driving from the city. This is yesterday afternoon. I was driving from the city to Green Gulch, and, and I picked up a phone call uh, from someone in distress. Um, and I called her back. She was worried about a meeting, <coughs> and that was supposed to happen today. And I s said, oh, I'm, I won't be there. I'm, I didn't even know about this meeting. <laughs> I'm going to be at uh, Point Reyes in Sashin. And she said, well, if you're not going to be at that meeting, then I, I'm really worried. <laughs> I'm, af I'm afraid that other people are going to criticize me. Um, and um, so we talked about it a little bit, and, and uh, I don't know whether she decided to go to the meeting or not. But, uh, but this morning, driving over here, I thought, and I had another thought, and so I left a message on her phone saying, uh, uh, it's helpful to have a strategy to go from uh, uh, from a dualistic view to uh, 
unified view. And so I didn't explain too much, but I just said, uh, how about if when you go to this meeting, if you go, that you uh, begin by thanking everyone there. Whenever you, whenever you say something, thank everyone else there for whatever you can think of. <laughs> whatever way in which they were, they were making some effort. You know. um, and then whenever, in some, when, and whenever it's, and anyone does offer some criticism of you, to thank them for that. So now I'm interested to know, you know, what happened. Um, but this, uh, um, you might say, okay, this is a practice. Uh, the practice of activating <coughs> gratitude is moving in the direction of non-dual, of non-duality. Because when you're thankful for something, then you're connected. You begin to be connected with it. And when you begin to be connected with it, you have a chance of realizing that you're not separate from it. First connection may feel like, oh, it's... Uh, uh, that it's two things being connected. But underneath that is a more subtle feeling that, uh, oh, actually, not two things. In fact, this that I'm appreciating, what I'm appreciating is supporting me. Um, in fact, it is me. In fact, I wouldn't exist without it. That this universe that appears to have things over there that are other than me are, is actually telling me that it's me. Um, so, so you could take up a practice of uh, this as a practice of just saying thank you. Um, you can say it out loud, or you can say it within yourself. Thank you. Um, thank you, even for uh, what's uh, unexpected. Or what seems to be an obstruction. As soon as you're grateful for an obstruction, it's no longer an obstruction. What's stopping you, or in opposition to you, as soon as you say, oh, thank you, thank you for being there, it's no longer um, uh, an obstruction. It's no longer in opposition to you. So if someone is uh, uh, criticizing me, and I say, oh, thank you. I actually don't feel uh, put upon. If I can, if it's just mechanical, if I just mechanically say thank you like a robot, then that doesn't, you know, that doesn't work, it doesn't help. But if I actually feel, when I say thank you, if I, even, if I feel, oh, it seems ridiculous, but I'm, 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 I'm cultivating gratitude. Um, 
as soon as I uh, actualize that, that gratitude, then there's no problem. There's no uh, opposition. Um, so this is, uh, this morning I talked a little bit, just used the word choice point. Uh, that each point, each moment is a, is a choice. You can uh, see the world in a dualistic way where there is opposition, or you can see the world in a unified way. And this is one practice that leads to a unified way. A few days ago, someone was confessing to me their worry, their fear. Uh, it was kind of a, uh, I think, a kind of a subtle fear, and it had to do with choice. And it had this fear was, this person was uh, worried about making some mistake at the moment they were dying which would lead to an unfortunate rebirth. <laughs> uh, this, this is wonderful. Huh? <laughs> you know, the, in some, uh, in some uh, Buddhist uh, lineages, uh, Particularly in uh, Tibet, you know, there's a whole practice of you know, how to meet death, and uh, and the notion of uh, in death you're in a bardo realm, in a bardo realm, or it's a little bit also like in Western, say in uh, Dante, uh, uh, being in limbo, being in a limbo realm. Um, so you might. Find uh, when when one is in a bardo realm or a limbo realm, that this is very confusing. So it's a, it's quite likely that one might make some mistake, right? make a mistake, a choice that then would lead to an unfortunate rebirth. Um, so this is something to worry about. <laughs> um, This morning I also talked about uh, crisis. Um, so, for a practitioner, uh, being in crisis not, is not a problem because uh, one is willing to experience every moment as crisis. Everything depends on this moment. There is no other moment. <laughs> We don't, you know, I don't usually realize and most of the usual way is not to, uh, not to consider the weight, the weightiness, the utterly uh, uh, defining potentiality of this moment. So, uh, usual mind goes, I think, you know, thinking about various other moments, other, other 
lives. And then sets up a, dual, a duality. Right? Not being willing to meet this moment. But every moment is a bardo moment. Every moment is, uh, has also that quality. Not knowing that this moment, each moment, is a choice in whether you live uh, in uh, opposition to things or whether you live in accord with things. And how you know uh, uh, where your practice is is when you when you notice that you're in opposition. Even subtly, there's some tension, or there's some distraction. Uh, at that point, at that moment, uh, to say thank you. So here we are sitting uh, zazen for a couple of days and. Uh, uh, you know, what's the value of that? <laughs> uh, the value is, is uh, that Zazen is undivided activity, unobstructed living. And Zazen helps to um, reveal, to realize how, uh, how obstructed living and divided living is uh, a creation of uh, one's own uh, attachment to things. So you get a chance more and more as you settle and slow down and uh, become still, you get a chance to see more and more clearly what tendencies arise that, uh, that uh, tend toward uh, separation. And where is your trust? Where is your confidence? Um, the, uh, so the, the thought of having some uh, worry about making some mistake <laughs> is uh, that is what happens, you know, when you set up some separation. Thinking that, oh, there's some other time that I can make a mistake. <coughs> right now, that's the mistake. This is the mistake. So to, to be willing to be completely at home with that mistake, um, this is, this, and then take care of it. This is our uh, this is our practice. So in, in this uh, couple of days, uh, we're sitting and, and doing various uh, practices. One is sitting still. This is a mountain practice. Sitting still like a mountain. Mountain is a wonderful image of uh, composure. Right? Very very solid, not moving. The wind blows. Mysteria blossoms. 
fall to the ground. Trees fall over on the mountain. The mountain is stable. And of course, you know, every once in a while mountains <coughs> blow off their top. <laughs> we still say mountain is a mountain of uh, image of that composure. By the way, in the walk up here, there was, uh, looked like this, the, the lithocarpus, the tan oaks are the ones that are really dying out. Yeah. Big ones, there's some big ones mm -hmm. that have died up there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I did see one, looked like uh, not affected, but interesting to see. Um, it may be that there are some strain of tan oak that would not uh, succumb to this virus, that would survive. Mm -hmm. We're waiting for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've been dying uh, for about two and a half years. Uh -huh. so we've had to take up many, many trees yeah. Yeah. that are like tinder. Yeah. So the trees are dying and the mountain is still there. So that, uh, one aspect of the mountain is composure, another is elevation. There's a sense of elevation in, in mountain practice where you're, you're rising, your, your mind, your awareness is rising above the uh, small, uh, say, usual busy, petty concerns. Um, so to come here and sit for a couple of days is to say, okay, I'm going to set aside these various busy things for a little while and stop and find some composure. Um, and then uh, we also have um, activity. You know, we bow, we prepare meals and eat, we spill things and then clean up. Um, and um, so this activity is um, being right with this activity is this mindful practice. Um, and when you are willing to just be in the activity, then that also is unified, undivided, undivided activity. So that's any person meeting whatever the thing is. Meeting, meeting the spoon, meeting the teacup, um, but then to take it into the realm of um, human human interaction, I'd say is a little more complex than that. That's this kind of engage, uh, engagement, relationships. Um, to be willing to be present in uh, relationships, 
with other human beings. It's a little different than uh, being in relationship to a teacup. Fundamentally, okay, same. <laughs> but our experience is actually quite different. Usually the teacup, I don't have to f worry that the teacup is going to criticize me. Right? Um. <laughs> but with uh, our relations with each other, that comes up. In the case of this person going to the meeting, this fear was about, and there's a good reason, good reason to think, oh, okay, that there's going to be criticism. Um, and then uh, to have to suffer with that, criticism feels like uh, someone else is over there and I'm over here. It feels isolated. It feels like, oh, uh, I'm alone and no one appreciates me. So it takes a strong practice to turn that, to say, oh, thank you. To so have confidence in what is uh, the fundamental ground, which is much bigger than uh, you and me. You and me are, uh, we are, are both supported by um, the entire universe of being. We're both supported by this. We're both actually that. There's really not you and not me. So then it's easy for me to say, oh, thank you. Your criticism is completely uh, intended to be helpful. Right? From that place over there, you see me and see that I'm not really in uh, accord with things, and so you can point that out to me. Um, however, I don't like to hear that I'm not in accord with things. <laughs> I actually don't like that. <laughs> it's even worse than not being in accord with things, when someone points it out. <laughs> I may feel uncomfortable, all right, that's okay, you know, I feel okay, I feel uncomfortable, but then for you to point it out to me, and you know it, you know, that's really embarrassing. Uh, um, I don't like that. Um, I especially don't like it when it's something that I think I already know. I think I'm already doing correctly, and then you point out that I'm not. You know. I really don't like that. And I don't like it when, when I worked so hard to do something, and then um, there's something imperfect in it that you want me to, <laughs> want me to correct. <laughs> mm. So that's a makes it hard for me to say thank you. When I'm feeling this pain, it's hard for me to say thank you. So emotional pain um, comes up 
mostly, uh, maybe I shouldn't say mostly, but it comes up a lot in the uh, human relationships. So various uh, spiritual teachings offer uh, some uh, antidote you know, to that separation. I was just reminded of the, the Muslim teaching that emphasizes uh, welcoming uh, guests. Uh, when I saw uh, Rick Steves just did a visit to uh, Iran and Lane got a hold of the DVD so I watched it. I watched some of it last night actually. Um, his visit to Iran. So there's many things. You know, this is a country that in order to overcome the dictatorship of the Shah, which was supported, actually the Shah, it was pretty clear, the Shah was installed by the CIA um, in 1953, went on for years and became more and more oppressive. Um, so then, I forget what year, then they had this revolution, the Shah went out, the, the uh, Khomeini came in, so then they've, then they've gone in the direction of a theocracy. Um, but through it all, they have this, uh, the Quran, and uh, the uh, teaching of Islam, and uh, his experience, I, I recommend actually everyone to take a look at the DVD of Rick Steves and include, he has three parts. One is the movie that was uh, you know, shown on PBS. And then the second part was a, a lecture, a talk that he gave, a slideshow. I actually found that to be the most interesting. Um, and then the third was an interview, the interview with his guide, um, about his point of view about various things. So that's all pretty interesting and valuable. But uh, just an example of the, the way of taking good care of a guest is, uh, he said uh, he was in a traffic jam, and they have traffic jams all the time because they don't have, in Tehran, they don't have traffic lights and all these big intersections and cars all come and they all find their way through the intersection. <laughs> so he's in this big traffic jam, he's not driving, he's sitting in the back seat and another car is next to them and the, and the car next to them says, motion, so roll down the window and they roll down the window and say, you have a guest in the back seat. Rick Steves, he obviously doesn't look Iranian, right? Um, said, yes, yes. So, here. He passed over a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> Please apologize to our guest for this, uh, this miserable traffic. <laughs> so this, he was quite surprised. And everywhere he went, he was just, people were very interested and very helpful going down the streets, big city, little village, wherever he went. Because he was a guest, people were very uh, 
solicitous of his welfare and giving him gifts and taking care of him. Even when they found out he was an American, which usually he would he wouldn't tell them. They'd say, "Where are you from?" <laughs> they they would say, "Where are you from?" He'd say, "You guess." And he'd say, "Well, some European country like you know Denmark, <laughs> Sweden, Germany." They often they usually wouldn't wouldn't guess American because it's so unusual for an American to show up in Iran. It's not easy to get the visa and to go to Iran. Um, and uh, and he said, "No, America." He said, "You, United States of America." And then they'd say, "Oh, I like America." <laughs> they would usually say, "I like America," <laughs> even though they have these big huge billboards the size of entire walls of buildings that says death to the USA <laughs> there's one that he showed in the slide that had, a, that had an American like an American flag on this must have been 50 feet high in this building American flag and instead of stars it had skulls and where the stripes where the stripes come across the stripes turned into bombs and it had written death to the USA. And then it turns out that they use that phrase a lot, death to this. And uh, at one point in another traffic jam, his driver said, death to traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought, oh, that's, that, said, oh, that, that makes it a little different. It's kind of like, we don't actually mean it, you know. It's, he said it's kind of like when we say, damn those teenagers. We don't actually mean they, and we want them to, you know, be in eternal hell, right? It's just expressing our, our frustration. Um, so this uh, uh, reminded me of kind of another dimension of Rumi's poem, The Guest House. Which I don't have memorized, and maybe I'll maybe I'll find it tomorrow. But anyway, but in the guest house poem, Rumi says, uh, uh, "Whatever arises, whatever arrives, whatever stranger comes to your door, a meanness, some some anger, um, some unwanted feeling." Whatever that is, welcome it. Invite it in. Even if it's something that you're, that's going to tear up your whole house. Um, welcome it. Invite it in. So I thought, oh, this adds another dimension to that poem. I hadn't thought about this from the point of. Uh, Islamic culture, you know, that emphasis on taking good care of the guests. So in a Rumi poem, he's talking about taking good care of the guests in your own mind, right? in your own emotional field. And in sitting, this includes taking care of uh, your body. Right? How to take care of pain in your body. Welcome it. 
Oh, I have pain in my knee. Okay, welcome it. How do you welcome it? Um, how do you actually say thank you to pain in your knee? As you refine awareness, it means that you don't... You might begin by saying thank you. That seems absolutely contradictory, right? Because it, you don't want it, right? I don't want this pain. How can I say thank you when I don't want it? it sounds even dishonest, right? Um, this practice of saying thank you, though, is uh, calling up your deeper mind and enabling you to say, okay, I see this just as it is. I'm willing to say welcome so that I can see it. I'm willing to see uh, today I've had various pains sitting and and what I noticed and I've noticed this over many years now is when I'm willing to bring my full awareness to a particular point of pain and see exactly what it is without opposition then I have to overcome a sense of opposition if, there, if I'm afraid of the pain if I if uh, I really don't want it then I can't, I can't actually feel the pain. I can't experience the pain. What I experience is my idea about it. I experience my fear and I experience my constriction. If I can let go of that, then I can experience the sensation, just as it is. And then I don't call it pain because it's call it pain is adding something. What I notice is then that the impact of it uh, dissolves and it, and it shifts. There's pain someplace else. There's a sensation someplace else that arises in the foreground. Um, it may just move a little bit or it may be kind of a throbbing thing. But there is no sustained pain. Even though it seems like it, when you refine, when refine, refine, refine your awareness, check it out, investigate it. <laughs> um, I'm suggesting that bringing awareness to the pain itself is taking care of it. Mainly what it wants is to be recognized. Mainly what it wants is to be included. Mainly what it wants is to be living with you in a non-dual way. As long as, as long as there's a thought, I'm here and the pain is there, that's dualistic. When I drop that, the pain is so happy to be <laughs> recognized that it stops screaming. <laughs> Very interesting.
time signal. <laughs> Thank you. So what's uh, 8.15? What? That was a five-minute. That was a five-minute bell? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, are there any questions? Yes? I'm just curious. You were talking about um, how you notice your emotions when you're told that your efforts were wrong or incomplete or a mistake. Or what, that's what I was hearing you saying. That was yeah. So how was that when you were, you know, all those years you were doing landscaping? People are funny. Funny. Make this big effort, and you put in the plants, or put in a big boulder, a lot of dirt, and then it's wrong. That must have been very hard. It's good training. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed if I if I thought it was if I uh, expected a particular reception or appreciation or something, if I had that idea. That was a problem. What do you mean you didn't get it? If I have the problem, uh, if I have the idea, oh, this this is uh, universally, this this should be universally seen as fabled, beautiful, right? <laughs> if I have that idea, mm-hmm. that kind of sets up a yeah fall problem. <laughs> so I found it was more helpful to think to have the idea. Well, some people may like it, some people won't. You know, maybe half and half. Of course, the people who are paying for it, yeah, then they have to accept it or have to change it. So it's important to be in communication with the with the people who are paying for it. <laughs> Usually, I was able to do that. And sometimes I have to tear it out, and change it. Um, well, that's actually very good training. Yeah, you're right. People are funny, and sometimes I, it was amazing. Sometimes amazing. How, what seemed really beautiful to me would, would irritate someone else. Yeah. And sometimes, and, some, and it's sometimes hard to communicate about. Oh, you don't even know why. You know? Sometimes you find out why. You know, I've told the story about the Fatsia japonica. Right? The what? The Fatsia japonica plant. Which one is, which story is that? Well, it's the, the person who, you know, this was, you know, you want to you go over a list of plants and you, uh-huh. you, you agree on what's going to go in and you look at a picture in the book or whatever and then people don't necessarily know what it is until it's there. And so in this case, it was the shade garden with the, uh, well, it's really difficult to find plants that work in this much dark shade, but Fossia japonica will be fine, and you know, and so it has big leaves, like big hands, kind of like, you know, um, and uh, so in this case, you know, it's I don't know, probably a 15 gallon plant or something that's five feet tall, and costs a hundred dollars or 150 dollars or something. And, 
put it in there. And then the next day, the owner shows up and she says, I hate that plant. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, well, we talked about it. You know, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I hate that plant. Okay. All right. Now I was curious, why, why have such a strong you know, feeling about it? I hate it. And uh, remember the story now? No. See, this, uh, <laughs> I know I've told it a few times, but anyway, the uh, uh, so we had this conversation. I said, why, you know, why do you, why don't you like that plant? You know, oh, she's trying to explain. It looks like this. Looks like that. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I'm trying to think because what are we going to replace it with? You know, you know, what's the what kind of plant am I is going to work here? You know, it's not going to be it's obviously not this one. And uh, finally she said, It reminds me of a dental office. <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of a dental office. Uh -huh. I thought, yeah. Well, okay. I guess so. People uh, can be reminded of anything when they see anything, right? And, and, and then what's wrong with the dental office? <laughs> I feel, you know, I, have a, uh, I have friends who are dentists and uh, I know they get, a, they get a bad rap, you know? Often people don't want to come and see them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, dental office, Associated with dentists, associated with pain. All right. All right. So this plant looks like ah, <laughs> poor plant. You know, completely a misunderstood plant. You know? <laughs> so that's just an example. Yeah, you say people are. And th that's uh, that was pretty easy. You know, that was an easy one. One plant, they change it. But it was interesting to me to find out what was the association that was so un unlikable about that plant, because it it wasn't didn't have anything to do with the characteristics of the plant, mm -hmm. except that it reminded the person of something else. You know? um, so that's the way the mind works. Mm -hmm. It's good to know. And you may not know yourself, you know, why don't I like this? Why don't I like that? And someone, or, or what's, what is it about this person who makes me uneasy, you know? Or, or makes me feel really, uh, you know, warm and cozy, or, you know, what, what, what is it? You know, it may be a misperception. It may very well be a misperception. Yes? I heard that lecture that you were mentioning and uh, what struck me in the, in the lecture is um, he said that the, from his experience there, the Iranian people are motivated by, motivated by two things, which would be um, fear and love. Mm -hmm. they, they love their, and this is the example he gave, they love their children immensely. Mm -hmm. And they, they fear America, because they're afraid that their children, if they associate with America, they'll turn out to be uh, Britney Spears. <laughs> <laughs> That's their deep fear, yeah, is yeah. that their children will grow up as uh, Britney Spears. So, 
you know, a lot of people have been motivated by love and, uh, love and fear. And uh, like the fear of this dental plant that you tried to folks voice down there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, what do you think of that? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, that's for the human, human nature, to be motivated by love and fear. And the way that plays out depends so much on uh, the cultural context you know, and, the, and the history. Um, what is it that you love? And what is it that you fear? And uh, family values can make people do strange things, right? Seemingly strange things, even in this country. Yeah, I think uh, maybe that's enough. Enough said there. So, okay. Well, please continue to moment by moment realize that you do have the choice of living in a <coughs> dualistic world or living in uh, a world of uh, connection, of interconnected, completely uh, interdependent, uh, mutually to even say mutually is, is not right, because that also posits uh, duality. But a, a move in the direction of, uh, of connection, that's to say, um, welcome. <coughs> welcome to whatever arises, <coughs> and then you can see, when you can see it clearly, then you know what's appropriate response. Thank you for listening.
last period of zazen, which will also sit facing into the room, um, we say, I think on the schedule it says, chant the four vows. Yes. Well, we just did that. So I'd like to stand up and chant the uh, three refuges in Pali. At the end. Yeah.